What's up, party people? It's Talib Kweli, the BKMC, the MCEO. I love the fact that y'all checking out the People's Party and showing us a lot of love. You know what we do? We bringing you all the live guests. We bringing you the best podcast on the internet. Just make sure you subscribe and leave a review. People's Party, Talib Kweli. Let's go. One, two, three, and a place to be is Talib Kweli to BKMC. This is the People's Party. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for rocking with us. Make some noise for my lovely and talented and funny and thoughtful and thought-provoking co-host Jasmine Lee in the place to be, everybody. Give it up. Freaking love that girl. No doubt. Now, the People's People's Party, uh, what I've been able to do with this show is sit down with people who have a lot of cultural currency. Now, rappers brag about making a lot of money, but that money is worthless if you don't have any cultural currency. Mm -hmm. Today's guests might have the most cultural currency of anybody I've ever met in my life. As a writer, as a hip-hop artist, he is one of my hugest inspirations. He is very important to the culture, to the history of hip-hop music. He's a game-changer, a revolutionary, a movie star, the owner of his own motherfucking sports league. Wow. Savvy, smart lyricist. He's been dropping entire tutorials, how-to books Mm -hmm. on how to conduct yourself in this rap game and in life. Ladies and gentlemen, the People's Party welcomes Ice Cube. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Or afternoon. Ice Cube is Jasmine. Jasmine Ice Cube. What's up, Jasmine? We've actually met before. Where? You don't remember I worked with you. <laughs> <laughs> she said she was an extra on Straight Outta Compton. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. I don't know if I believe her. I really was. It was some of the best. It was like one of my first background roles in L.A. Well, that's dope. You know, Straight Outta Compton was a... It was a monster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I might have been just, you know, a little bit, I would say, uh, you know, I, I, I guess Busy. distracted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put it that no way. Doubt. Put it that the way. The nigga you love to hate. Yeah. Fuck you, Ice Cube. Yeah. I went to an Ice Cube concert yep. in 1992 at Toad's Place in New Haven. I met my man Blue Gems there, actually. Uh, rest in peace. He passed away recently. Rest in peace to him. But I was the first person at the Ice Cube concert. <laughs> um, and, you know, that concert changed my life, brother, and made me want to be a performer. So I want to thank you for that. Oh, man. Thank you for telling me. No doubt. I also want to thank you for the first time we met. The first time I met you was in Brooklyn at Afropunk. It was a couple of blocks away from my crib. And I walked down there and you developed, you delivered a masterful set with Thank Dub you. C yeah, and yeah. your son. Yeah. Was in. Uh, it was a beautiful yeah. thing. And you paid me a compliment. Uh, you said I had pen skills. Definitely. No doubt. And I appreciate that because that's the Definitely. name of my publishing company. <laughs> you know, so you, yeah. you, was, you was right on. And I think that's, that's like the highest praise I could possibly get, you know, from a yeah. writer like yourself. Yeah. You know, um, some dudes are, are respected, I guess, for, for what they do in mm-hmm. the game. And some people are respected for who they are in mm-hmm. the game, you know. And I've already, I've always respected you for who you are in this game. Okay, I appreciate that. And um, what you stand for. Mm-hmm. And I know it's not easy mm-hmm. 
to um, not chase that trend or fad or mm-hmm. dollar. No doubt. You know, uh, and just stand on your heart and your mm-hmm. spirit and your inspiration and your passion. And I've always respected you for that. I appreciate it. I learned it from watching you. Thank um, you. Now, that same year, 1992, um, legend has it that January 20th, 1992 was the actual day that it was a good day. <laughs> is that accurate? Bro, every day above ground is a good day. <laughs> I mean, and somebody broke it down. Yeah. And, you know, I... Uh, his name was uh, Donovan Strain was the writer, I think. Broke it all the way down. Yeah. He said that was the day the Lakers beat the Supersonics. <laughs> it was a clear day. It's not yep. a lot of smog. Um, yeah. He broke it all the way down. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it was a great um, piece of research. <laughs> right. Uh, but... You know, it was a good day is it's like uh, to me a whole lot of days summed up into one. Okay. You know, um, it's like the Friday movie, you know. Mm-hmm. Mostly everything you've seen in that movie happened on my block <laughs> at one point yeah. or another. And right. we just wrapped it into one story. And so it was a good day is not. One, one day. day. Okay. It's a lot of days wrapped into one. Okay. And to be honest, like I said, any day you're above ground, you're not dealing with health issues, mm-hmm. and you're not in jail. Mm-hmm. It's a good day. That's a good day. Um, You also said you hit a triple-double on that song. <laughs> yeah. You know, and there's a lot of basketball talk on that song. That's some of the best yeah. basketball lyrics of all time on that one record. Um, And now you have big three. Yes. Did you imagine when you wrote that record that you would have something like Big Three? Never. Mm. You know, I big sports fan mm-hmm. growing up, played football and basketball, wanted to actually play football till um, till it wasn't fun no more. Mm. And then, you know, I was having fun. <laughs> it wasn't fun of everybody else. But the coaches <laughs> and everybody was all super serious. Mm. Uh, you know, and too serious for me. You know, it wasn't a game no more. It was like I'm playing for their jobs. That's how they made us right. feel. So you know, like you ain't like about you to get paid. me fired. Like, huh? And you ain't getting paid. Ain't getting paid a quarter. <laughs> right. You know, it's just I like balling. Right. Um, and then it wasn't fun no more. And at the same time, hip hop was taking over my life. And um, I had a chance to really you know, kick it with Dr. Dre mm-hmm. and the Wrecking Crew. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just became my passion and focus. And I just quit football. I was like, I'm done. Done with all this yelling and hitting. <laughs> and, you know. You right. played in college or? No, nah, no, nah, high, oh. high school. We had similar experiences. When I was in high school, I was very good at baseball. And baseball was the only sport I really followed. I never followed football, never followed basketball, really. Mm-hmm. You know, I follow popular culture, so I understand who who affect and impact the culture yeah. based on their level of accomplishments in their respected field. But mm-hmm. I don't I don't know it like that. I know baseball, yeah. though. And yeah. um, hip-hop took over my life. Like, my, my inspirations, lyrically, just with the pen, is you, Karis One, and Q-Tip. I feel like wow. that's my style. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Yeah. And I, those are the records I was listening to. I was listening to America's Most Wanted and, and Tropical Quest and Boogie Down Production stuff. Yeah. And it was taking me away from baseball and I didn't want to go to practice no more. Mm-hmm. Practice was not fun for me no more. Being out there practicing when I could be listening to some hip hop music. Yeah, you know, I was just missing out. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I was bus to a school in the valley. Mm-hmm. So our practices was after school. So I wasn't pulling up till five, six o'clock. Right. Everybody gone. Everybody <laughs> doing what they do, you right, know? Right, right. And I'm like looking for people. Mm-hmm. Uh didn't have no car. Mm-hmm. So I was just depending on people to come back and pick me up. Right. In California, you know? that's just tough life. Yeah, that's it's it's over for you. Mm-hmm. New York, we had to unless you're gonna ride on that, you know, rough, tough, and dangerous. It was called the RTD. (laughs) Rough, tough, and dangerous. Yeah, it's the bus system. (laughs) Oh, it's still rough and tough. It's called the Metro, I guess now, but (laughs) it was uh, it was the rough, tough, and dangerous Mm -hmm. RTD. Nobody was getting on that unless Mm -hmm. you was you wanted to scrap like through every hood you drove through, mostly. Right. So I I was sick of getting left. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, man, I'm a I'm going to be early. So when Dre wake his ass up <laughs> and get in that car, I'm going to be right there with him. All right. I ain't going to, you know, get left. So I stopped. I was just, football didn't interest me no more. Because okay. I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to play no more if it was all about being not fun, right. super serious, you know, you, you trying to go to college and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. through football and all that. I just didn't want to be that guy. Now with Big Three, it's interesting to me because, again, I don't know too much about basketball, but what I could tell from how you developed it, it comes from a deep, deep, deep love of the game. Yes. And you're trying to bring the game to other people who share this deep love for the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's... Uh, you know, we didn't reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. Like three on three right. is part of basketball as much as five on five or even more. Right. Because most people can get a three on three half court game going faster than they can get a five on five. Or, you know, it's not enough room. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? People ain't letting, letting you just take the whole court. So mm-hmm. it was a game that was always on the under but never respected and elevated to the professional level. Mm-hmm. So that was the goal, to, to elevate it to the professional level. And think of, a, you know, a business model that worked mm-hmm. um, and giving people reason to go and having all the games in one day and, you know, making it like a mini all-star game. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we went after Hall of Famers mm-hmm. and – and made sure that the game was credible. Right. You know, if if Gary Payton and Dr. J and Iceman George Gervin and Rick Barry mm-hmm. don't say, yeah, I don't know if we hear. Mm. Because people looked at it and said, yo, if they put their name into this, it must be um, something to take serious. You know, but then, you know, we had to evolve and make sure that we were you know, tailor-making the sport for the fan base that was watching, that, that wanted to watch. You keep bringing up people and fans, and it's very yeah. egalitarian. It's very, you know, about community and communing. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's that, that to me is the most important part of it. And, like, bringing fun into it. Yeah. And also the ownership aspect. Mm-hmm. You've been pushing ownership in the music, in the films, and now you're pushing ownership in sports. Mm-hmm. Um, was Is that a deliberate part of it? Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. we wanted to 
when I say we, you know, it's mm-hmm. not just me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got a I got a partner named Jeff Quantinitz. Mm-hmm. And me and this dude been doing it for a long time. And we both fearless right. when it comes to new ideas, bringing something to the world that, that don't exist. Now, when it comes to fans and the fan experience, you know, me, to me, my, my, um, I would say my key and my goal mm-hmm. is to make sure I don't um, try to sell you something that I wouldn't buy. Right. You know, I ain't trying to push nothing on you that I wouldn't right. pay a ticket. You know, right. I'm thinking like if Big Three came to town, if I didn't have nothing to do with it, would I go? And the answer is hell yeah, in a heartbeat. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that's where it starts to me. It's all about what the fan is going to get out of it. I remember doing, doing like producing my first movie and, and you know, which is Friday, mm-hmm. producing it, cutting it. And I was like, no, nah, the fans ain't going to really understand this. And the editor was like, fans what do you mean it's like right. we're gonna do what the story say do i'm like right. no we're not right we're not just gonna do what the story say do if the fans ain't gonna get it mm-hmm. it's all about mm-hmm. the fans it's not all about this story mm-hmm. you see what i mean um it's all about how the people absorb this story so mm-hmm. i've always thought that way um and to me that's the key to longevity in any business I think it's really cool that uh, what you hated about sports of how is how over serious it was. And so big three is like centered around fun. How did you come up with the new rules, like four points shot and all mm-hmm. of that stuff? Well, we wanted to be unique. We knew we couldn't compete with the NBA mm-hmm. and what they've, you know, they've been around 75 years. Mm-hmm. So we knew we had to have wrinkles and things that would make you wrinkles. I like want to, see our game and make our game special and unique. Everybody's been talking about the four-point shot, uh, but nobody's pulled the trigger. So Mm -hmm. we was like, we're going to do it. Um, And it's competitive. You know, everybody say do a line. Why you didn't do a four-point line? Mm -hmm. You know, a line can't be defended, really. But a circle can. You know, I can see somebody getting to the circle and I can – you know, move towards that to defend that. So, you know, these were the things, you know, uh, not having a a time clock, a game Mm -hmm. clock, just the first one to 50 win. Mm -hmm. Uh, No more garbage minutes. You know, they, everybody playing to somebody score 50, they playing hard. Um, One shot free throws. Uh, Who the hell want to see? Somebody shoot three free throws, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and they damn sure don't want to see nobody shoot four. Right. You see what I mean? Right. So, you know, that like, yo, if you get, but you got to shoot it from the four, mm-hmm. you know, you got to shoot it from the three. You got to shoot it, you know, so these are the little wrinkles that make our game special. You know, now we're, we've come with the bring the fire rule, which is a rule where you can, you know, once a half a coach can t- challenge a foul. Mm-hmm. So even if it's a real foul, hard foul, whatever, a, a, a coach can say, hey, I don't want this dude to go to the free throw line. I want him to bring the fire. And then them two players that was involved in that foul go one-on-one for the points. Wow. wow. You know, so it's 
You know, it's something fans been begging for. Right. Like, dude, I want to see these dudes go one-on-one. I want to see, you know, Giannis versus LeBron. I want to mm-hmm. see Kobe versus D-Wade. He figured out a way to make it happen. A way to make it happen naturally mm-hmm. in the floor of the game mm-hmm. and that, that it counts. You know, it's not just some side show, right. but it, it counts towards the score or the foul. And um, these are the wrinkles that when you're starting something new or you're adapting you have to think of things to make your game stand out. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to stand out away from the NBA. Mm-hmm. You know, we want the NBA to be over here. We want to be over there. Just like you got boxing over here, mm-hmm. you got UFC over there. Mm-hmm. That's what we want. And um, we want the big three to stand alone as its own professional thing. Now, from what I understand, the NBA is kind of copying some of the stuff. Yeah, you know, they've yeah. taken a few of our rules. Okay. Uh, 14 second shot mm-hmm. a clock once a you know balls knocked out of bounds on the offensive side of the ball um in the G League they doing these you know the one point free throws mm-hmm. um uh, one shot free throws put it that way um so you know it's a few things that they've taken even you know um our captains pick the teams that that they play on mm-hmm. you know it's not a a general manager, you know, it's so it's a captain, a co-captain, and a coach, and they run the team. You know, once we start doing that, the next season, the NBA had LeBron picking his All-Star team mm. and uh, whoever. Right. Now, now the stars pick the team, and so these are things that we think the NBA has has borrowed from the Big Three. Mm-hmm. And it's cool because it let us know that we we are changing the game. We are ahead of the curve. And we do know basketball. Now talk to me about these tryouts. Yeah. And uh, how it's expanding. Well, we went down. Last year, we went from 30 to 27. Mm-hmm. This year, we're going 22 years of age. So wow. you can be 22 and make the league. And you don't have to have NBA experience you don't have right. to have, you know, uh, overseas professional basketball experience. If you do your thing at our tryouts, you get an invitation to our combine. And that's where all the basketball players are at right. the combine. And then you, if you do your thing at the combine, you'll have a chance to get picked. So it's really opening the door up for any diamonds in the rough Mm-hmm. Anybody out Missed there? The you could yeah. be a fan. Like it's like yeah. you talking about you built this thing for the fan experience. What would the fans want? The fans want to be like, I could play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or my man <laughs> or yeah. I know my man yeah. could try out and get there yeah. and have a legitimate shot. Mm-hmm. Um or other, you know, two sport athletes. Uh it's, you know, dudes that play football that, you know, they they can't play in the NBA, mm-hmm. but they might want to play in, in the big three. Um Mm-hmm. It's dudes out there balling with with NBA players now, like J. Cole and Chris right. Brown, mm-hmm. and, right? And um, which one play Is for that uh, invitation? Right? Tyler's trying to try out too, y'all. Oh, I'm definitely not trying to try out, <laughs> but you know, so it's open. If you think you got what it takes, which I doubt if, you <laughs> but if you think you do, right? You know, come show us what you got, and uh, if you if you can impress. Our Hall of Fame coaches right. and our, you know, all-star talent. Right. Then you'll get an invitation to the combine and 
you you get in the combine, anything can happen. Are you guys gonna allow women to try out at any point? Yep. Oh, perfect. Women can come try out. <laughs> I'm gonna try out too. Yeah. I got a nice three shotter. Yeah. Really? You gotta have more than that. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have Didn't more even than that. Like I was a three shotter. <laughs> three shotter. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but that is exciting to me that that anybody is an opportunity for anybody. And I just picture in the future that you're creating new superstars. Yeah. Somebody's going to come out of this that no one expected or no one heard and they're going to have face on a Wheaties box or something. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be a great story if some guy you never heard of came to our tryouts, made it through our combine, mm -hmm. got drafted, mm -hmm. did his thing this summer, mm -hmm. and then got invited to an NBA training yeah. camp mm -hmm. or something. That's beautiful. That would be beautiful. That would be crazy, you yeah. know. Um, so, you know, we want guys to come out, but you got to have real game, and we're gonna put you through the ringer. Mm -hmm. And if you got the skills, then you'll you'll get an invite. God bless you for uh, presenting these opportunities for people. It's a wonderful thing, man. You know, somebody presented opportunities for me mm -hmm. along the way, and um, that's the best thing about this league mm -hmm. is. You know, guys are out of sports early yeah. in their 30s, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And could you imagine somebody come to you, 31, 32, tell you you done? Right. I don't want to hear you on the mic no more. I was just getting started. I don't want I don't want a movie from you. Right. I don't want you to do nothing but go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Go fishing is what mm -hmm. they say. At 31? And 30, man, some yeah. 20, 21. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, some 29, sports, yeah. 27, you don't get the call. Yo, nobody called. Nobody wants you. You out mm -hmm. the league. You retired. And to be able to put them dudes back in the arena, mm -hmm. to be able to get them, you know, look, dudes six, nine in the air, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Done practice basketball his whole life. Mm-hmm. He can't hang it up at 31, 32. I mean, that's mental torture. Right. So to have a game where a guy can come and do it all the way to he's 50. I mean, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf is out there at 50, bro, wow. giving him buckets. Mm. So you keep your body in shape. You keep your game right. Keep practicing. And it's a place for you to still play. And dudes... Man, they bringing their kids. It was like, man, my kids never saw me play, mm. you know. And these are like special wow. moments where, like, you're giving them back their true identities mm -hmm. in a way, their true job, what they've yeah. trained their whole life to be. You're putting them back in that arena. You're giving them a chance to make some money and get their profile and their platform back up where they can maybe mm -hmm. parlay that into other opportunities mm -hmm. for themselves. You know, I start seeing, you know, Rick Barry and, and, <laughs> and, uh, Clyde Drexler on commercials and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, Oh damn, they getting a, they getting a look shine back. Yeah. Uh, people seeing them and wanting them to do stuff. And it's, it's just a great thing. A lot of our players are now, you know, they doing the jump or whatever on ESPN. They doing all the analysts and, you know, it's cool to see. It's good energy. Who are some of your favorite players to watch? Oh, man, I love watching Nate Robinson, uh, Big Baby, <laughs> Glenn <laughs> Davis. Right. Um, Joe Johnson killed it this mm -hmm. year. The MVP of the league. 
man, Steven Jackson still bring it. And Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, man, he's a, he's an inspiration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go to the beginning of your career um, and talk about CIA. Yeah. Shout out to Sir Jinx. Damn, Sir Jinx, man. You know what I'm saying, Jinxy. When yeah. I first moved to L.A., bro, that was the dude that used to make sure I was good cool. in cool. L.A. He know everybody. He know everybody. <laughs> he know everybody. <laughs> everybody know him. Yeah, man. And uh, Jinx is fearless, man. So mm-hmm. he's a he's a uh, you know one of the most creative dudes I ever met. Yeah, yeah, super talented. Yes. Um, rest in peace to Crazy Tunes. Man, C Tunes, man. That's another dude who's always showed yeah. me a lot of love, bro. He's nothing but love. Yeah, I man. mean he's, I mean he's a welcome committee. Mm-hmm. Um and. I mean, he's so West Coast. Oh, you yeah. know what I mean? Crazy yeah. tunes. And, um, you know, I'm, I miss that dude a lot. Yeah, he's... And I think about him a lot. Loved and missed. Um, yeah. You wrote Boys in the Hood mm-hmm. um, for Easy. Um, now, was it... I wrote it for a group called HBO. Okay, okay. Yeah. I wrote it for a group called HBO, Homeboys Only. Okay. They was out in New York. Okay, Queens, yes, yes. Queens, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, um... The lyrics was just foreign to them. They was like, you talking another language, mm-hmm. man. And I was, you know, right. it was, you know, um, it was, it was the shit we talk out here. Right. So they didn't understand what I was talking about. So they rejected it. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then easy, and then Drake convinced easy to, to do it. Did you imagine it would become the name and inspiration for this Film and recipes to John Singleton as well. No, nah, man, you know it's it's written it in was, such a cinematic fashion. Yeah, you know it was um it was in the nature of uh, six in the morning. Mm-hmm. Ice tea. Yeah, which is from um, PSK. Mm-hmm. Schooly D. Yeah, yeah. And so it was in that vein of telling a story. We was all fans of Slick Rick mm-hmm. um, and fans of KRS mm-hmm. who, you know, I mean, that why-da-da-dang. Yeah, that why, nine da, 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 Yeah. I mean, that story is just crazy. Yeah. So, um, you know, those was my favorite cats right. <laughs> at the time. And so I wanted to make a rhyme that, talked about what I knew about mm-hmm. everything going on in the neighborhood. So, you know, came out boys in the hood. Um, did you see the thing online recently where Slick Rick's name was trending? Yeah. Because someone had asked, who's the best storyteller in rap? Oh, mm-hmm. um, but as Slick Rick's name was trending, your name was was kept keeping up. Like, people kept being like, what's up with Ice Cube? What about Ice Cube? Did you mm-hmm. see that? I peeped that out. Okay, okay. I that out. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Word up. Yeah. So, so I, I agree, you know, Slick Rick, when you, we all look up to Slick Rick uh, as, a, as a great storyteller, but you can't have that conversation without mentioning Ice Cube. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's love. I, I, I've always put, you know, um, storytelling rhymes mm-hmm. on the tip top shelf. Yeah. You know, a rap is a rap. A rhyme is a rhyme, a riddle is a riddle. Mm-hmm. But to walk somebody through a story mm-hmm. in a masterful way and in a flawless 
way mm-hmm. is to me that the 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 paramount and the the tip top of, of right. the game. That's what made Big special. Yeah, and the reason why Slick Rick is to me the best mm-hmm. is delivery, presentation, mm-hmm. um, the changing of voices and styles and. You know, it's like, you know, I got dope rhymes, you know, and I can deliver them. But his were almost like you're turning the page of a book, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a different thing, you know. So to me, he's the, the best at it because of those reasons. Yeah. Um, And Lottie Dottie is like, I mean, it's not like a singular story, but mm-hmm. but damn. You know, it's like you can't fade. You to this them. day, yeah, mm-hmm. nobody can fade Lottie Dottie. Yeah, um, I've always, I won't say struggled. I've always challenged myself to try to be a storytelling rapper because I agree with you. I agree that it's the top shelf. That's mm-hmm. like the top shelf liquor. That's like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? The Johnny Blue, you know what I'm saying? Like, whereas everybody else is drinking Jack Daniels, you know? Um, I mean, like, not to cut you off, mm-hmm. but if you, it don't even have to be a hit record. It don't mm-hmm. even have to be something people like but you know as a MC when you delivered the perfect story yeah and delivered the perf and you laid it out right yeah and you get the most satisfaction from them records no matter if anybody else like them or not right um you've seen the movie Inception yeah um a great film um but when they talked about how building scaffolding in your mind uh, to create stories, to try to incept an idea of people. That's how I feel when I listen to your music because you study architecture, right? Yeah. And that's what it feels like. It feels like watching someone build an mm. architectural stru- uh, structure. Yeah, you know, um, I got rhymes that I, you know, I go after that, uh-huh. you know. I go after that mental. No doubt. Um, I think that's what it's all about at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Like, what can you say in a rhyme that can help my mental? No doubt. And to me, the best songs, the best, um, the biggest songs to me do that. Right. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm trying to do that most of the time. Not all of the time because I think, you know, rapping should be fun too. Yeah. And I think it should be the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right. Of we have all that all of that as a people. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. You know what I mean? Put it out there. You know, it's like nobody is exempt on my records. <laughs> right. You know, black people, white people, right. You know, Mexicans. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, equal uh, opportunities. Nobody, <laughs> yeah. Everybody, everybody, you know, every pencil need to be sharpened. Put no it doubt. that way. No doubt. Even mine. Right. I even talk about me. So right. You know, I think that's the form to do that. And a real MC does that. Right. Now, I'm called a conscious rapper. You're called a gangster rapper. Mm-hmm. But you've made some of the most conscious music of all time. You know, Fuck the Police is one of the most revolutionary records of all time. Yeah. Um, that's uh, that's street knowledge. Yeah. Kicking shit called street knowledge. Why more niggas in the pen than in college? That's yeah. nigga you love to hate. But, you know, Fuck the Police, when... When you were writing it, did you see it as a part of a lineage or a part of a canon of revolutionary protest music? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, we were fans of Public Enemy. Mm-hmm. 
If you listen yeah, to that record, it, speak on it. You listen to that record, it has a lot of same break beats that that PE used mm-hmm. on on It Takes a Nation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I wanted to impact. I didn't want to just like be gangster and nothing else. Mm-hmm. Right. I wanted, you know, I wanted to get you with that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, you know, um Teach. Yeah, you know, be you know, KRS One, Chuck D. Chuck D is my favorite MC of all time. Yes, shout out to Chuck D. You know, yeah. uh, but my top five, I mean, Melly Mel in there, mm-hmm. um, Ice T is in there, mm-hmm. um, Chuck D, Karis One, I can hear it. and Rakim. Mm-hmm. You know, these are to me the ones that it's Mount Rushmore. Yeah, yeah, you know, the ones that impacted me as a not just as a person that loved hip hop, but as a black dude trying to navigate mm-hmm. what the hell's going on out here. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to be in that class, in that category. I didn't want to just be rhyming for the sake of riddling. You right. know what I mean? Right. I wanted to have things to say and make impact and move move people like Chuck moved me. Yes. Um, later in your career, you did an excellent record called Good Cop, Bad Cop. Yeah. Um, whereas you break down how the reason why good cops, uh, reason why bad cops exist uh, and they are the norm as opposed to the exceptions to the rule. The good cops are the exceptions to the rule and the good cops are the ones that lose their job and everything they speak up. Yeah. Because of that. Because and bully. Good that, cops yeah, are bullied too. Yeah. Because of the thin blue line and that bullying... Is there such a thing as a good cop? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a such thing as a good cop. But like I said, you know, they're bullied, pushed mm-hmm. to the back, um, not part of the gang, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not part of the boys. Mm-hmm. But there are, you know, one of our only hopes, last line of defenses in a way. Right. To, to try to get at some of the madness because they do cover up for they... They do, you know, they don't mm-hmm. report what they see. Right. You know, they they come in our neighborhoods and they want us to snitch, but they won't snitch mm-hmm. on each other. Right. You see what I mean? Right. Uh, so it's a problem. They can solve it. You know, it takes courage. It takes, um, you know, support mm-hmm. from the system. But, you know, the system is what it want to be. Yeah. That's what we got to realize. Right. You know, it's not like, man, if I just show these people where they're wrong, mm-hmm. they'll do right. Right. That ain't how it works. It can work that way, though. And what, cause, what do you think about, because when you say that there are good cops, even though they're not speaking up, but I feel if you aren't speaking up, then you're just as bad as the bad cop. Because if we, if more cops come together and start saying, no, this is not right, this is not right, then they will become the majority. Yeah, I think, but it's, you know, it's a culture. It's a little easier said than done. Mm -hmm. You know, they've kind of, when they become an officer, really accept this culture. You know, the, you know, they turn you into a police officer. You know, they don't, you know, just like they turn you into a soldier or, Mm -hmm. you know. Indoctrination. Yeah, you don't walk in and and just, here's a badge, here's a gun. They got, they got, they got to have their weeks to do their work on Mm -hmm. you. But guys put on a uniform and they still 
serve the community and do good things. They just not telling on this idiot that they saw, you know, mm-hmm. choke out a 18 year old kid for mouthing off mm-hmm. or whatever. They're not speaking up, but that don't make them bad cops or bad people. You know, it makes them a little, um, you know, somewhat cowards in a way. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. But I'm not going to say they're not good cops. The way the way that you are um, speaking on that reminds me of gang culture, mm. you know, and it, I think it's a, it's a similar type of mentality. Apply. People grow up in these neighborhoods. They be, join gangs for survival and then they become indoctrinated and then it becomes a loyalty, th- a loyalty thing. Or it's like a soldier in the trenches yep. who fighting. Who, he joined the military because he wanted to pay for college or get out the hood or something. And then the uh, Iraq war pop off and now he's fighting for imperialist masters. But he's just thinking about his man in the trenches. Um, I think that's kind of what I'm hearing you speak to when you speak about what these cops have to go through. I mean, it's real in the field. You mm-hmm. you know, you you take an oath with some guys and y'all hitting the streets every day. Y'all not dealing with the best of the citizens that we have out here. Yeah, you know, most true. of the time y'all dealing with the worst. And sometimes it can erode your sense of right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wish that cops could really go talk to people. Mm-hmm. Mandatory. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? No, no, and taking no records and nothing. You just mm-hmm. every every week you gotta come in there and just talk to these people. Yeah. Decompress, let people know what's on your mind. It's a lot of dudes bottling stuff up, mm-hmm. trying to be tough. Mm-hmm. And then they either take their own life or take somebody else's life in the street. Right. You know, it's it's um it's a situation that I think you know, it's a way to get to a lot of issues. If, yeah. if cops could go talk to people, yeah, but they got to toughen it up. Yeah. You know, they got to toughen it up, man yeah. up. They don't want to look like they can't handle it. And, you know, one day they, you know, they snap, they snap and go overboard. And we wonder why. Yeah. You have another song that's great. Arrest the president. Yeah. Um, I love this fucking record. Donald Trump. You have one of my favorite quotes in the Trump era to describe Donald Trump. And because of how nuanced your quote was, I think people try to use your quote against you yeah. and weaponize your quote. Yeah. Um, and you said, uh, Donald Trump is what America aspires to be, the American dream. He looks like a boss to everybody and Americans love to have a boss. Mm-hmm. Yes. I got that. Yeah. What do you think it was that people didn't, didn't get about what you, how you were critiquing Trump in that moment? Um, I guess it was too too close for them to see. Right. Or it digs too deep. But, you know, every American want to be rich and tell the whole world to, you know, fuck off. Right. (laughs) Do what the hell I want to do. It's my damn money. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. King of this. My house. Right. I'm the man here. Mm. Who the man? I'm the man. Who put this thing together? Me. Me. That's, that's who. who. <laughs> right. Everybody want. I mean, that's it. Right. He's the caricature of that. Mm-hmm. He's the epitome of that. Mm-hmm. He's that disgusting, arrogant, right. greedy American pig. That's right. 
<laughs> and hey, a lot of people aspire to be that. That's, that's right, why that's I right. said what I said about him. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't see why you can't see a guy like that coming a mile away. Mm-hmm. You know, but a lot of people want to be that right. in their, you know, in their alter egos, <laughs> in their, you know, fantasies of being a king one day. Mm-hmm. Um, or having all the money or whatever they people fantasize to be, you know, that's when you really think about it, that is the American dream. Um, when you were putting out America's Most Wanted, which I can't overstate the impact that that album had on me personally mm-hmm. and just on a game in general. Um, in between the album between that and death certificate and then there was an ep right it was yeah, killer will killer will um you had the honor of being interviewed by angela davis yeah um which is that's powerful mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. um she I, I i read excerpts of this interview recently but what struck me the most about it is you felt like death certificate. You were very, very confident about death certificate. And you was like, as good as America's most wanted is, and as much as people loved it, I feel like I was still learning mm-hmm. when I was writing and working on the album. Now I feel a lot more confident in my experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? Um, you know, meeting with, with Angela Davis, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think she was, kind of coming to give me a piece of her mind a little bit. <laughs> she was I've read a couple you know of and um, <laughs> which was cool right but you know I wanted her to understand my position too mm-hmm. um and and I think we ended up seeing eye to eye yeah at the end of the day mm-hmm. um but death certificate to me was a record it was the perfect balance of street knowledge. Mm-hmm. You got street on one side, you got knowledge on the other. Life or death. Yeah. So the skits are masterful. Yes. That that it's Sir movies, Jinx it's put movies. together. Yeah. It's cinematic. Mm-hmm. Game. We had the game when he said that's his favorite album by you. He's like that shit. He said when that. He said he was trying to describe for us what L.A. was like when you dropped Death Certificate. Oh man, it was a. Uh, I remember it was lines around the corner at uh, the warehouse and Tower Records mm-hmm. and all that. It was like a movie was coming out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, people left school to go get it. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, it feels good when you got the hottest record on the street, mm-hmm. without a doubt. And so, you know, I felt good about the record. But then at the same time, Billboard the editor of Billboard magazine did an editorial on the record and killed it. Mm. Basically said it shouldn't even be allowed on the shelves. Mm. So the whole record got wrapped up into him and, and Jerry Heller's screaming to the JDL Mm -hmm. uh, that I was anti-Semitic because of, of no Vaseline, the mm-hmm. lyrics of no Vaseline. Mm-hmm. And um at the time I'm like, ah, I'm anti Jerry Heller. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, his religion or who he is has mm-hmm. nothing to do with what he did. Mm-hmm. It has to do with right and wrong. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so to me, we, we got entangled in all that kind of mm-hmm. muck mm-hmm. and never really got to the production, the lyrics, yeah. the the flavor of the record. It was all... What's the writer's name at Billboard? You're asking me? <laughs> you don't, don't know, know him, the, right? Yeah, I don't know that's, this dude's that, name. But that's the point I'm making. Yeah. It's like, fuck what the fuck he was talking yeah, about. Yeah, you know, you at know the time... Like, you know, Ice Cube is like, the death certificate right now. Is but, like, you know, Billboard was the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All these record power. store owners was reading it. Yeah. And, you know, it was things with, with other controversial records. So, mm-hmm. you know, I felt like we had to speak out uh and we had to kind of fight fight that and not yeah. just and not just let it ride well i mean you come from a you know hip-hop is a, is a community where it's like it comes out of signifying monkey and playing the dozens and and jasmine is a comedian she does roast battle mm-hmm. and you know if you listen if you pay attention to battle rap culture and you you've been in some huge yeah. beefs you know what i'm saying like you pay attention to battle rap culture there's a, a code right where it's like no holes barred. Mm-hmm. People ain't living their lives based on how they battle rap. Exactly. And I feel like there was an era in your life when you was a fiery young artist, a young man, and you was battling the world. Mm-hmm. And there's records, Black Korea and mm-hmm. Horny Little Devil, and and and, it's, and you're associating with the Nation of Islam, which people were terrified people. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And for you, it's, it's, it's liberating and empowering to you when you're learning new things and having new experiences. And your new experiences is terrifying people. But somehow, your your fortitude and your ambition and your drive and your passion as a man and as a writer, you're able to write yourself out of that and keep writing and keep writing to the point where it's like, now you're doing family fair. You know what I'm saying? Can you speak to us about how you're able to make that transition but never, ever lose the gangster ice cube, the conscious ice cube, the ice cube that's not... I don't give a fuck. Like mm-hmm. I, a couple years, I noticed like you drop like a family friendly movie and then drop a fucking gangsta ass record with rap a lot or some shit mm-hmm. at the same month. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like tell us how you doing that. Well, I mean, I look at movies as movies right. and rap is real life. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay, okay. Uh, so we've always had entertainment value in our records. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always been a slice of comedy. Uh, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Something that's not just, you know, um, raw dog, you know, unentertaining, right. just, you know, uh, like shit LA, talking. L.A. dudes in the midst of real dangerous beefs and, or whack, some of that stuff that started the gang, gang shit was still doing funny ass videos about each other. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, what I'm you know so comedy yeah. is part of the hood just as much as anything else mm-hmm. that you can associate with the hood. So, you know, everybody has somebody funny mm-hmm. in their family, in their circle, mm-hmm. on their block, at their school. So comedy is just as just as much part of it. Right. So we always wanted to, you know, either laugh loud mm-hmm. or talk about the real shit that's going on. Right. So it was always that balance. I think that's where the, the like where the, where the JDL comes in and that's some of those criticisms because you're speaking in a language that's like a battle rap language or a roast battle language. Yes. Um, we had Michael Rappaport on recently, mm-hmm. right? And you work with him with Big Three. Yeah. And he gets himself into all these shenanigans with these controversial shenanigans. things. Shenanigans. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's, yeah. that's the word I'm going to use to describe it. <laughs> shenanigans. And what, he, what we, we got into it on the show because mm-hmm. I, I, I grew up with Mike. 
I've yeah. known him for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I challenged him and Jasmine, who doesn't know him like that, mm-hmm. we challenged him on some of the things he's saying. Yeah. And the point that he was trying to hammer down was, he was like, how I grew up, this is, I snap with motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm roasting you, I'm snapping you. Yeah. So if I say something that's, that people are taking as racist or people are taking as sexist, it's like, in the rules of how the game I'm playing, it's not. And mm-hmm. I think that's where some of the stuff was happening with you. It's like, if I'm on records, I'm like, nigga, I'm snapping on you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's separate too, though, because it's so funny how, you know, you you have such gangster rap, but then you have Are We There Yet? And people that have seen Are We There Yet don't even know that you have fucked the police a lot of times. It's two different audiences. And without, then- without a doubt. Um, the movie audience, mm-hmm. to me... Um, I always looked at that as a separate thing. Mm-hmm. I always looked at, you know, my records, you know, might make you cry. <laughs> but when people go to the movies, mm-hmm. they don't always want to see what they just left. Mm-hmm. You know, the they want to a degree. Yeah, they want to mm-hmm. escape. They, mm-hmm. you know, they want a night out. Mm-hmm. They want to laugh. They want to have a good time mm-hmm. and not, be more depressed going back home than they was when they went to the movies. Mm -hmm. Right. So it was just a conscious thing where I was like, damn, I could do both. I can, I can, you know, do movies that make people laugh and get, you know, that whole funny side of my Mm -hmm. personality, a place to be. Right. And also I can do records and give people, the real hard shit that they like, mm. but also that's it has comedy in there too. It, you it know, entertainment you, and you, yeah, I mean, um, but that's it's, that's ill that you say that because when we were dis- we planning this interview, we were discussing how your knack for comedy and not just your comedy chops as an actor mm-hmm. and not just your comedic writing skills as writing these films, but you being able to spot that comedian, that Chris Tucker, that Mike Epps, mm-hmm. that Cat Williams, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you, I guess that comes from what you were just speaking on. I mean, I, I give a, I give shout out to Russell Simmons too mm-hmm. for Def Comedy seeing Gym. these dudes first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And giving yeah. them an opportunity first. Yeah. Because that's where I saw f- a few of them mm-hmm. on Def Comedy Jam. And I'm like, this dude need to be in movies. Right. You know, but you're you seeing it from a cinematic lens as well. Yeah. So you like, see him and you probably picture like, it like, I know he's not gonna get. I know mm-hmm. Bernie Mac mm-hmm. is not gonna get the opportunity mm-hmm. to show what he got. Mm-hmm. Like I would give it to him. Mm-hmm. Right. That's how I see it. Right. I'm gonna let you shine. I'm gonna let you come and show people why you funny. Right. Show people what I why you make me laugh. Right. You know. So right. and uh, set you up for that and encourage that. And you know, I know some dudes who. They want to be the best in the movie. Mm-hmm. They want to be the funniest. Mm-hmm. And they hold everybody back. Mm. Not, Not team players. Workers, right. they, they just hold everybody's right. funny back. Mm-hmm. They, they just make sure they have all the funny stuff. Right. I'm like, no, other way around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let you go. Mm-hmm. Just stay within the, 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 the parameters of the script and what we trying to get accomplished, mm-hmm. but you're going to have an opportunity to do your thing. No and, doubt. and I give, you know, everybody that freedom, no doubt, you know, so I, I didn't work with a lot of them, you know, 
very early. Like, you did. You even was, Tiffany you Haddish. You was early. We worked with her on, on uh, Janky, Janky Promoters. Promoters. Yeah. Look, look. <laughs> Tiffany Haddish. Okay, I was gonna I was gonna save my Janky Promoters questions to later. Okay, but you brought it up. <laughs> yeah. All right. I don't think people understand how brilliant this fucking movie is. I and I didn't get a chance to finish it all the time. That's, that's what's. I love the movie, but uh-huh. I'm so frustrated because. They didn't let me finish it. Mm. Harvey Weinstein and them. Mm. They they was going through the financial crisis, mm-hmm. 20, 2008, mm-hmm. and they just basically took everything and finished it and put it out. Man, that so was- but but the movie is about Harvey's always fucking up, huh? About our He's world, fucking everything, up. fucking everything. Yeah. Up. Yeah. Look, it's about our yes, world. Yes, yes, it is. Young Jeezy was brilliant. Yes, and that shit. Uh, uh, Tate, what's his name? Um, Lamar. Lamar Tate. Um. Jesus, they're talking about oh 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 my room fucked up too. You yeah, yeah. All, all that uh you know uh role the, manager the promoter, line. The, first of all, the phrase in conjunction with yes. is such an important phrase. Yes. In club promotion. Yes. You know, people We've that, heard it all, you yeah, know. Yeah, man, Jelly Roll and, and Reddy Red, that's your name? Yeah, no, Russell Red. Russell Red. Yeah. Sweet. Russell Red. I see the, I see I see it now. <laughs> that the him with the bullet hole bill holes in the car like I know yeah. I know this movie bro like the the, the Hennessy taking the swig of Hennessy before everything where the Hennessy in the dressing room uh man I could go on and on about this movie and I encourage everybody to watch Yankee Promoters it's like a documentary about being a rapper did you hear what happened with the baby and his and his janky promoter <laughs> yeah that he had to yeah. rough him up cause yeah, he didn't you get know, him his uh, money yeah, oh that, yeah the baby situation yeah that's yeah. the <laughs> trick yeah you know dude came up to me with jewelry in their hand trying to pay me right you know it's like I done deal with some janky promoters um and what's hey, the worst promoter they just trying to hustle <laughs> what's the worst promoter you've come in contact with oh uh, man it's been years I think we was in Cleveland mm-hmm and um, dude couldn't pay us, you know. So he just he came with with trinkets of jewelry, <laughs> <laughs> trinkets. Yeah, it was like <laughs> old nugget rings. <laughs> <laughs> and he was telling me, man, just hold this, and I'll get you the money tomorrow. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? <laughs> Before y'all leave, and we just wasn't having it. We start breaking down the equipment. <laughs> the 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 fans rushed the stage, to pushed all the equipment over. Uh-huh. They knew we was leaving. We had to get up out of there. My dude had to take a pot shot. He <laughs> turned around, shot the gun, and to just back everybody right. off. So I, you know, I had to let him go because I'm like, dude, that's not the wave for one. Nah, you can't. Yeah, you can't be shooting. Right, <laughs> you can't be shooting. You right. know what I mean? Right. I don't even want you to pull it out, but right. But never. Definitely don't shoot it. Don't shoot. <laughs> don't shoot. Word so, the early years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's where that movie came from. Because yeah, the movie I mean, came from a, just my whole career, just dealing with dudes who, you know, um, you know they hustling. Mm-hmm. Right. You and know. Then y'all, then y'all got on stage and took credit for the after party. Like, the movie was yeah. perfect. I mean, as far as some of those, I know you wanted to finish it, but yeah. from my experience, I, I had a great good, time. Good, good. Um, Friday, man. Friday, I, I, I'm I, from old New York, so I, I watched Friday in the theater smoking a blunt. Yeah. You know what I'm what? saying? Like, that was the way to do it. I know you're a little younger than me. You was that legal that. or did you just no, do it, it on legal. your own? Okay. Just, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, the impact of that movie is like, and, and, and the subsequent sequels as well. Mm-hmm. Um. It's just, you know, people have been clamoring 
for this new Friday. Um, we recently lost John Witherspoon. Yeah. And I know it had to be a blow to the team and the family. Um, can you speak to me about his legacy and working with him? He he was just like the funniest dude purely mm-hmm. that that I know. You know, besides like Mike Epps and mm-hmm. these dudes, you know, some dudes you don't need a camera, you don't need a line, mm-hmm. you don't need a movie, you don't need a script. They just funny no matter what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what John Witherspoon was. Right. You know, he he was just a funny individual. Right. And a script couldn't be, no matter how bad a script was, put mm-hmm. it that way. Yeah. John would save it. Like, you, he couldn't do nothing wrong, in a way. When you think about him from, you know, like I know he goes back to the uh, 60s and 70s. But when you think about him, like, Bar- when you think about Barnaby Jones, mm-hmm. and you think about uh, House Party, yeah. when you think about Boondocks, you think about what he did in Friday, that's John Wayne's Witherspoon. Brothers. Yes, like and that's very some some not everybody can do that that you're showing up to to do you yeah just and it to, works in every Wayne's brothers yeah he's that's you you doing you and it works for every single thing just a funny man you know yeah. wrote for Richard Pryor mm-hmm. opened up for um every comedian emceed for every comedian mm-hmm. did he a was, bunch of hip hop videos yeah you know yeah. this dude was a uh, a master at what he what he do and mm-hmm. he was just you know I, I cast him um because he reminded me of my real father okay you know but my real father is not that funny okay he's, he's, he's <laughs> not okay. that funny but but john witherspoon reminded me of that era and that essence right and when i when he when he uh said he would do the movie I knew it was going to be a good movie. Mm-hmm. This was before we even got Chris. Mm-hmm. I just knew John is going to do it. We gold. Right. You got, you can write yeah. stuff around him. We mm-hmm. golden. Cause yeah. he's going to make sure the movie funny, whether we funny or not. Mm. And so that's beautiful. And look, he was a serious man. Mm-hmm. He was a, a good man, serious man about his bread. Mm-hmm. You know, always would invite us over. He would have Christmas, you know, get togethers, mm-hmm. hit the piano, sing. Man. Old school Hollywood man. like that. Yeah. That's beautiful. You know, it was good. Yeah, man. Good Rest dude. in peace to John Weatherspoon. Yes, sir. Um, Speaking of uh, Christmas, there was a debate this past Christmas because they were trying to say Friday After Next is not a classic Christmas movie. What? That's what I said. It was like, tell black people that Friday After Next is not a Christmas movie. Why? Because there's like, no snow on the ground? That's a, that's a definite Christmas. One of my favorite Christmas movies, I'm going to tell actually. you my favorite part of Friday After Next is and this speaks to how how the the, the details I of the am culture, a boy Sorry. the details of the culture right Ricky Smiley yes. right as the Santa ghetto Santa Claus right yes. I mean ghetto ghetto you know robbing the houses right mm-hmm. when he's going through the presents and he finds a fucking Dada hat <laughs> and he says Dada I always wanted me some Dada. And Dada was only <laughs> cracking for that year that yes. that movie came out. Dada wasn't cracking after that. So it was yeah. like a time capsule. Like, I remember when I was flipping through a double XL and saw a Dada hat. I'm like, oh, I might want a Dada hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, man. I, I love the smile. end sequence of the movie, you know, where. The, the, yeah. the, the chase? Where we, cha- where we see him and then we chase him. You know, that, you know that, what that, that part se- is. sequence reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, Raising Arizona. 
Yes. The chase scene it's with exact, the diapers. Yes. I was a big fan of Ray's in Arizona. Yeah, the Coen brothers. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that's exactly the feel that we wanted to give. The, with dogs. The dogs, mm-hmm. the old man. Yeah. Which is Mike <laughs> Epps, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. shooting. Um, and, you know, the ch- just it never ended. It just went on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a, a, a cool Christmas movie. Um, I was like, man, we don't have no... West Coast Christmas movie. It was amazing. Show how we celebrate, which is a lot different than Than, most Christmas movies where it's like snow and it's like that whole feel. It's super cheesy. Yeah, we just got, you Um, know, I was palm trees. No one knows this, but I've been working on a Christmas album for the last couple of years. Oh, gosh. Is that right? Talib Kweli Christmas. Well, holiday album. I'm not really a Christian, so it's more like a holiday in the spirit album. But it's real shit, you know what I'm saying? I don't share this with everybody, but Ice Cube here and we talk about Christmas movies. But the reason, I've studied every single black Christmas song to try to figure out how to do his album. Mm. And one of my favorites is that Santa Claus Come to the Ghetto remake (laughs) that Nate Dogg and Snoop and and Trey D and them did. Every song you hear Mm. in next Friday, I mean Friday After Next Mm. is... My favorite Christmas songs. Okay. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> you went through them, you know, stuck yeah, them all in there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this Christmas. The Donnie Hathaway? Man. Yeah. The classic, a black you classic. You can't beat that. No, stop no. trying to remake it because <laughs> stop it. You I can't. like the Chris Brown version, though. Chris Brown is good. He's Chris Brown could do anything <laughs> right. good. But, right. But Donnie Hathaway but for the children. Donnie is the, yeah, that right there is like, it, it seemed like it was made in the time where Nat King Cole did his. It's like, right. Just a quintessential Christmas song. It is crazy about the Friday movies, too, because I wasn't allowed to watch rated R movies. So I only could watch Friday when it came on TV. And last year I oh. saw it on Netflix. You only seen the TBS version? I had a good mother. Okay. So uh, not, I mean, whatever. Well, I had a good mother. I don't have to, whatever. So like last Shout year I saw it moms. on, um, hey mommy, I saw it on Netflix. And I was like, oh my God, who knew all these curses were in here? <laughs> I did. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I, uh, I, re- I recently watched Friday After Next because mm-hmm. it was like Christmas going around. I'm like, I haven't watched this movie in forever. Yeah. I'm going to watch it. Right. I was laughing. My laughing wife was like, what the hell are you laughing at? <laughs> <laughs> you laughing at your own movie? Right. Like you never saw it. Yeah. That's got to be a good feeling though. Yeah, because you know you forget like yeah. little funny tidbits of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, The second time, I told you about the first time I saw you perform. The second time I saw you perform was uh, at the Palladium in New York City. I think it was 93, 94. Yeah. Funkmaster Flex invited you to perform the Palladium. Damn. Wicked had just dropped. Yeah. I was in the audience. Yeah. You do on Wicked. Uh-huh. And King's son yeah. grabs the microphone from yeah. Flex. Yeah. And I don't know if it was set up or he grabbed the mic or what. And he says, it yo. It was not set up. He says, yo, Ice Cube. Ice Cube, that's my song. I made that song. And you was like, well, nigga, come down and do something about it. Mm-hmm. Oh. And now you and him drawn back and forth and I'm in yeah. the audience like oh shit oh shit yeah oh shit and what I remember you doing you said listen um, I know I'm in New York but LA is only five hours away on a plane and then you performed Wicked about three times yeah <laughs> yeah that was one of my greatest hip hop moments I've ever seen but yeah talk to me about that moment well you know me and King's son we go way back okay you know um it was always a lot of love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was like 
the same time as, you know, people were grabbing, you know, Jamaicans to to rap with them and do right. hooks and mm-hmm. do things like that. Right. So dancehall situa- hip hop was met, mess- yeah. It, it was a situation yeah. where he had a song, he had a reggae guy on it, mm-hmm. and I had a song, and I had a reggae okay, guy, okay, on okay. It. <laughs> and it was like, yo. <laughs> You biting. Right. And I'm like, nah, that's, it's it's a trend. Right. It's a wave coming. And um, we didn't see eye to eye mm-hmm. that night, mm-hmm. but we ended up squashing it mm-hmm. and being real cool. But yeah, that surprised me, you know, that first of all, I was like, yo, who gave this dude a mic? Who <laughs> was more mad at whoever gave him right. a mic than right. him? Right. You know, because... You know, I, I wasn't really worried about him, right. but I was mad that he was able to hijack the show. You yeah, know what I mean? And yeah. kind of like wait for a quiet moment <laughs> and be like, yo, yo, yeah, yo. That's exactly how you sounded yep. too. And then we did Wicked and then I was still mad. I was still talking shit. You was talking a lot and of then shit. And did, we did Check Yourself right after. Yeah. So it was like that had never happened before, mm-hmm. you know, but. It was a crazy night. I remember that night, man. Yeah. It was crazy. That was um Flex used to have this every Friday night to bring a premiere act out to the Palladium and think you was the act for that yeah. night. Man, that was a good times for me. Now you It's a trip that you was there. That I night. was there that he night. He was everywhere. Talib was every freaking where. <laughs> now, you know, um, you after Friday and to to sell the movies, your style musically shifted. Mm-hmm. And you started making more club records. Yeah. Um, talk to me about that shift in style. Well, we wanted to do... And you made some L.A. classics in this era as well. Yeah, you know, we wanted to... Um, and I was doing a movie called The Players Club. Mm-hmm. And, and we be clubbing? We be clubbing. Which was... It was a lot of records out, but none of them were talking about actually going to the club. To the club. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, damn, you know, this is a lane that, mm-hmm. you know, everybody go, but nobody's really talking about it. Mm-hmm. So let's... I want to do a record since I'm doing a record about a strip club. Mm-hmm. I need a record that's going to make people think club. Mm-hmm. You know, it all coincide. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it's a trip because I always was a guy who I love hip-hop, slow rhyming. Mm-hmm. The fast hip-hop, if it wasn't Planet Rock, Looking for the perfect beat. Mm-hmm. It's time. You know, it's like mm-hmm. clear, just the, the classics, Tour de France. If it wasn't that, I didn't want to hear the, mm-hmm. the fast hip hop. Right. Even even the NWA songs, like mm-hmm. that Panic Zone. Right. I left the studio. I like <laughs> I'm refusing to be a part of this. Right. I don't I didn't want no parts of it. But I knew of it because Drayton them, they loved it. That's what how they first started. Right, was, that 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 type of music, fast like, dance music, the electro so, electro funk. So I'm like, I need I need some RPMs. I need to. Right. I can't go, you know, uh, Planet Rock fast, but mm-hmm. I got to make sure this is moving and it's pumping and make you want to rock at the club. So that's mm-hmm. when I, you know, kind of went into to doing that song. That was the mind frame, mm-hmm. and I just wanted the beat to turn around a lot. Right. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, right. I wanted that. Right. So, it, 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 you know, it, it's like a great song, you know, that describes mm-hmm. one of the first songs that describe going to the club. And mm-hmm. then 
So like after that, a million songs came out about <laughs> the club. Yeah, man. Um, me being an East Coast dude, and again, I count you as along with KRS and Q-Tip, my stylistic forefather. Um, I am someone. My career would not be what it is if I didn't leave New York. I left New York and went to Cincinnati, took a bus, started fucking with high tech in them. Mm-hmm. Early in my career, I came out to LA in 95, took a bus out to LA because I wanted to rap at the Good Life Cafe. Mm-hmm. I liked what F- Freestyle Fellowship and them was doing. Yeah. I was always, I went up to the Bay, started fucking with Mr. Journeyman and them. Um, I always was trying to leave New York. And so because I was tr- always trying to leave New York, I saw this elitist attitude that New Yorkers had when it came to hip hop. Mm-hmm. We was a home of hip hop. We the birthplace of hip hop. And when we leave, People treat us like stars in certain yeah. smaller cities and smaller yeah. markets. We come and be like, oh, you from New York? Mm-hmm. People was impressed by that. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there's definitely a thing that developed, as particularly around hip hop and feeling like the ownership of hip hop where I know I know for a fact growing up in New York, we're looking at everything that's not from New York. Like, mm, mm-hmm. you know what I'm <laughs> yeah. there was a little bit of that. Of course. You know? And you decided while you're at the megastar to address this. Mm-hmm. I decided that you know what I have to speak up for at least for the West Coast. Yeah. And can you speak to us about the necessity that you felt to create West Side Connection? Man, thank you for that question. <laughs> it was a thing where when we started to break through. <clears throat> when I say we, it's like Easy E N W A Ice T. We was getting so much love. Mm-hmm. In New York, you know, it's like, yo, you know, it's like we finally felt not like these amateurs, Mm -hmm. but actually, yo, we're we're being accepted into the pros. Mm -hmm. And so there was always a, a, a generation of hip hop that were kind of the gatekeepers at the time. At radio, you know, you had everybody had a show. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, we're like, oh, we finally getting accepted. And then Tim Dog does a record called Fuck Compton. Yeah. So we like Tim Dog. Whoa. <laughs> What's this? You right. know, it's like now coming from LA, mm-hmm. it's a gangbang culture. Mm-hmm. So when somebody Say fuck you. It's like somebody crossing Cross your you name out. up. Yeah. Mm. So we took it like we we need to fuck this dude Tim Dog up. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So Easy was trying to get a communication to really see what what the like. We don't even know you, homie. What's the right. issue? Right. So from there, another record came out. Um, Master Ace. Mm-hmm. He did a record called Slaughterhouse, mm-hmm. which it seems like he was kind of mocking New York the West Saturday Coast. Night and, you know, he was yeah. like, all our records was just murder, 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 kill, mm-hmm. kill, kill, right? Right. So he's like, oh, shit. It's like this real backlash starting to come. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at the artists and like nobody's doing nothing or saying nothing or nobody's really confronting this mm-hmm. head on. So I'm like, got to be me then. Because right? <laughs> we can't lose what we've gained mm-hmm. by being um, basically, you know, 
dismissed, um, discredited. Mm -hmm. That's just this. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's not, you know, the word uh, real hip hop. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Keep it real. Mm -hmm. That was the saying. Keep it real. We want that real hip hop. Not that shit they doing over there. That ain't got, that's just negative. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you get that along with the C, Dolores Tuckers of the world and mm-hmm. and they feel like, oh, damn. <clears throat> Not only is the establishment coming down on us, but the mecca of hip-hop is coming down on us. Mm-hmm. We got to stand our ground. We got to say, fuck that, we here. We ain't mm-hmm. going nowhere. Mm-hmm. And so that was the undertone going around you know what we gonna do man what we gonna do man mm-hmm. this is starting to diss us left and right on the radio it's like we let this fuck Compton thing slide and now everybody's starting to feel like okay I can take my shot I can mm-hmm. take my shot mm-hmm. and it just got too much mm-hmm. where it's like nah we in this shit today mm-hmm. and nobody knew how crazy it was gonna get because we felt like the people in New York love us. Mm-hmm. The artists love us. The industry hate us. You know what I mean? Right. These motherfuckers at radio. These motherfuckers in these in these positions of power right. at these magazines. All these people hate us. Mm-hmm. They hate the wave. Right. And it's a resentment because you know we're right. taking attention away. Because y'all was still touring, and you could see the love from the people. You you as an artist, you seeing that because you yeah. still going in them spaces. So. The industry, of course, once we start to shoot back, of course, they they whole thing was a turn of people against us, mm. you know. So then it became a whole thing. And then you have the top two labels, Death Row mm-hmm. and Bad Boys, beefing, and it just took it over the top. It's crazy because... Uh well, I was like in elementary school during that Bad Boys versus Death Row, but we would be in the cafeteria like, fuck L.A., fuck West Coast. <laughs> like, we knew nothing about what was going on just because it was cool. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny that, that you say that it, as it a, a kid. fever. But it's funny that you say that. We didn't say fuck. We no, were saying, I don't understand okay. what you're saying, but it's funny because with me, it's like you said, I was by that time doing this for a living or on my way to do this for a living. So I'm privileged to be in artistic communities. Yeah. And we didn't move like that. But you people watching videos, you know what I'm saying? People, yeah. people, there was no comment section. So it's just word on the street still mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah. You know? It was things like the box. Remember mm-hmm. the box? Yeah, you had the to box, call in. You call in, get the video played. And people so had to leave people, the comments. Yeah. And, yeah. and then people start playing like, the this video over and over and over yeah. and over again. And then he yeah. got your people called. Man, call, get our shit yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. You know, so now it's it's going throughout the country, like everywhere. Yeah. It, it was just um it was a situation where you was like, mm-hmm. oh shit, this don't really turn into um an industry thing mm-hmm. done spilt over into the fans. Mm-hmm. And you got the mainstream media mm-hmm. loving it, fanning all the flames. Mm-hmm. So their their headlines is all about a East Coast West yeah. Coast beef. But that the music which y'all did, you Mac Ten Dub C, like in addition to your stellar career as with NWA, in addition to your stellar career as a solo artist, y'all created some West Coast classics. And be, and it was I I do think it's a bit of a shame. That as as great 
as y'all did, a lot of people on the East Coast don't really have a relationship with some of these West Side Connection records. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, when you when you get out West and you hear them in the clubs and on the radio, it's like, man, like we miss some out. of them records. Mm-hmm. Look, we pigeonholed ourselves a lot in that in those records. You know, mm-hmm. we are a thousand percent West Coast. It was very specific records, and so we kind of deserve that in a way. Okay, you know that. Half the country loves those records. <laughs> right, right. Half the country can't stomach them. Right, you know right, what I mean? right. So that's just that. That's the that's the price you pay mm-hmm. as an artist mm-hmm. when you draw some dumbass imaginary line in mm-hmm. the sand. Mm-hmm. That music shouldn't even be drawing lines like that. Mm-hmm. Music should be opening it up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's what it was about. Ain't where you from? It's where you at. Mm-hmm. And so, you know. Those records live in their own, you know, yeah. kind of West Coast space. lore. Yeah. Or, or whatever the hell they call it. I've lived in New York and then in the South. So when I lived in New York, I only heard New York music or whatever was on the radio. And then when I moved to the South, it's like, oh, wow, it's a whole slew of music that you never knew about. And now you can be anywhere and hear music in any coast. And that's like one of the greatest things about social media like yeah that. some of it that's some of it is good but it's like some of it is not good uh <laughs> <laughs> no because you know the, the sort of uh corporatization of of the of the radio stations and the pulling together is like i like the fact that you can go i like the time when not with the beef shit but when you're hearing regional music from new york regional music from the west coast regional music from the mm-hmm. south now it's the same top 10 no matter where you go oh okay because yeah. all the stations are owned by the same people and that is harmful to the business i think yeah it used to be better when you know regions kind of own what they played mm-hmm. in a way or they were proud of their region and was gonna make sure if you're in philly you're gonna hear some philly artists yeah straight up you know you're not gonna be told from a corporate mm. location mm-hmm. what what you should be playing in your city and what's hot. Right. You know, you, the, the DJs used to dictate to the people what yeah. was hot. Now they took control away from now you. Now it's some corporate person telling you what to play and what not to play. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, radio's dying, mm-hmm. you know, in a way it's, it's, it's coming to a point where but they want to just hear us talk now. Yeah. That's why podcasting well, is popular. Yeah. They want to hear us talk. Yeah. It's really all about, you know, clowning artists yeah, and, and highlighting and magnifying an artist's worst moments. Yeah. And that's so true. Like you erode your own purpose when you do that, yeah. Mr. Radio Man. When you dissing the artist that you plan, the audience stops listening. Yeah. And they're not, it's not, they're logical. not just not listening to the artist and not listening to you either. That's right. So we got to reverse that. No if, doubt. if people, you know, it's got to be, it can't be like, well, what did this person do today? Mm-hmm. You know, it got it to be better than that. It can't be just about getting a laugh. I don't think that that's not what I meant. I wasn't, oh. I, I get exactly where you're coming from, but I was just talking about how you can hear music from different places. I don't really listen to the radio, but I'm listening to like, you know, you can be on Instagram and find like, oh, right. this person's listening to this in their car. Let me look up this music or something like that. That's what I'm talking about. Right. Yeah, I, I got it, but I just didn't. I guess I didn't answer that question, <laughs> but, uh, but it is good. You know, was you know, to me, you know, I, I'm a fan of you know record stores and going in and talking to somebody and having them 
put you up on good stuff. Mm. But, you know, the good thing about you know, iTunes or whatever mm. is that you can hear music from all eras, you know, at the, at the push of a button. Mm-hmm. You don't have to carry around, you know, we used to carry around crates and cases full of CDs and all mm-hmm. this stuff. You ain't got to do that no more, which is good. But it's bad, too, because, you know, owning a record, you cherish it more That's right. than yeah, you that's do true. when it's just uh, digital. Mm-hmm. Like, the digital world is fake reality. And we can't make it real reality. It's because it's never going to be. No doubt. Um, talk to us a little bit about just the impact and the journey from NWA as a group to the film to where now it's like such an establishment that, you know, you have your son playing yourself, who's a great dude, by the way. He First of all, your son uh, always, always has my back on Twitter. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. He, he always do. You know what I'm saying? Like he always makes sure he come in and he help me shut down these races and these bigots. You know yeah. what I'm saying? But um, just talk to me about how it's just become such an institution. Um, you know he's second generation Hollywood. You know, <laughs> and it's like why not? Right. Um, you know when we have a foothold in the industry, mm-hmm. you know we should, you know, try to make it a family business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a talented kid, but it was the right situation. Mm-hmm. It wasn't force-fed. You know, we could have put him in a movie a long, long time ago right. as a kid, but right. he just wasn't right. I mean, he'd been he acting for right. a minute, though, right? Here and there, it wasn't a passion of his. It's okay. like, he took it as a, as something he wanted to do for the family. Mm-hmm. He took it on as, like, this is legacy. This is our family. I can't have nobody come in and play you mm-hmm. when I can do it. And so, you know, he took it on as as that, you know, as a, as a badge of honor mm-hmm. and realized that he liked acting and he wanted to do more and mm-hmm. ended up doing more, which I'm happy because he's been in some great he should. You know, he should. Yeah. Like, and my other kids that, they're not as interested in Hollywood, mm-hmm. but, but, uh, if they ever did, you know, I got a few people I can call for them. Make no sure they, you know, they get a, uh, you know, the right shot. No doubt. Um, you have always, part of the story of NWA as told by that film is the story of butting heads and then growing out of that. Yeah. Um, you've always throughout your career with the, with these situations we talked to, you've butted heads with people, but then what's beautiful to watch is what happens when y'all come out of that? Yeah. And I, you know, Common is somebody who showed me love as soon as I came in the game. Mm-hmm. And so one of my favorite moments of hip hop was seeing Common in Barbershop. Yeah. Um, I know I paid attention to y'all beef and the records back and yeah. forth. And y'all have told that story a million times. So we, I don't think we have to tell that story on this show. Mm-hmm. But can you tell the story about, about how linking up with him for Barbershop? Oh, um, you know, sometimes you have a beef with somebody. And you squash it, mm-hmm. but it's not really squash. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's still that that, that, that little thing shit. in the back of your <laughs> right, head right. saying, "You know, <laughs> fuck that." <mother."> right. right. <laughs> uh, it wasn't that way with Common and, right. and myself. Okay. It was truly squashed. 
Mm-hmm. You know, when I would see Common. And, and you know, it was squashed that um, Minister Farrakhan had a summit. Mm-hmm. And he was asking all of us, West Coast, East Coast, anybody beefing, to squash their beef today mm-hmm. and do it for do it for the culture, basically. No doubt. And we did. And it was genuine. It was true. I walked away, you know, um, feeling like I had more to say about the beef, mm-hmm. but I wasn't going to say nothing else. Mm-hmm. And I saw Common running to him periodically after that. And it, I didn't feel no animosity. Mm-hmm. It was genuine love. We was genuinely happy to be past that point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was like, yo, when it was time to figure out who, you know, we was, we was needing these different characters for barbershop. We mm-hmm. knew we wasn't going to get Michael Ely back. Mm-hmm. And we was looking for a guy who was, you know, could be that, you know, right. and, and bring a different presence. And when his name came up, I was like, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Because. He's a Chicago dude too. Chicago dude. Yeah. Good dude. Mm-hmm. He fought the culture. He's improved it over and over and That's over. Right. He not into beefing with nobody. And we need to show the world that no matter what happened in the past, mm-hmm. that we could still work together. Uh, and be brothers, mm-hmm. and and you know, I don't even, I don't even think about that beef. You know, what I mean, right. it's it's kind of like a a dark moment <laughs> right. in my career because Common is a good dude. Right, I don't think he deserved it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it was just a misunderstanding. I was in my feelings. <laughs> you know, I was sensitive <laughs> about everybody <laughs> saying anything about the West Coast. <laughs> And I thought I heard something. <laughs> thought I heard something. <laughs> and, and, uh, Stepped up. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I, I was shutting everybody down. And, and you know, um, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, with that, it's cool to be past the beef. You know, same with Be Real. Mm-hmm. You know, Cypress Hill. We had him on this show as well. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. my man now. Yeah, B, yeah, yeah. B's a good dude. Yes. I've always been a fan. Cypress Hill. Mm-hmm. And so... It's cool to be past them beefs, mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. Be on the other side of that. I ain't got nobody that want to do nothing to me now. <laughs> I ain't good. got no haters. I ain't got no haters. <laughs> Shout out to no. Common. Neither you are too short. I have a question. So there was a viral video of you and the dude Kyle or whatever. He was trying <laughs> to take a picture with you and he tried to like lean on you like, nah. So what are the yeah. rules? Of taking a picture of like a gangster rapper with Ice Cube, like so <laughs> if I when I take my picture after this, I know. I mean, if you're an OG, I might let you get away with it. <laughs> if you're a youngster, don't don't even don't do that to nobody. <laughs> I mean, nobody you know that's been in the game way longer than you. Mm-hmm. You know, it just ain't cool. You know, it might be. Might be harmless, and I think he was harmless. I don't think he was trying to mm-hmm. front, but you know, it's probably best to to not do that to dudes who've been in mm-hmm. the game so long. Melly Mel, somebody came to me <laughs> and took, did that. I wouldn't mind, right? That's an OG to me, right? But nah, homie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that is you have been skillful and masterful how you've been able to publicly employ, um, you know, 
some of the lessons that you learned from spending time around people from the nation of Islam, um, but still maintain who you are. Yeah. Um, in your records, um, you shout out Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. You know, you've always been someone who, you know, a lot of people don't like the nation of Islam. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't like Black Lives Matter for very yeah. different reasons. Yeah. You've always been someone who's shown solidarity with pro-black organizations, pro-black movements. Um, but particularly with the nation, and, and when you first came out as a solo artist, you were being very much associated with the nation. So I want to ask you about where you at with your spirituality now. Um, I feel like I'm very spiritual. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really into religions. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm really into having a one-on-one with my maker. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to pretend to be somebody I'm not in those discussions. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm not down with any organization, religion, um, group mm-hmm. that's not into letting me be my natural self. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to conform to nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to try to be better every day mm-hmm. and I'm going to listen. I'm going to, you know, observe and I'm going to make my own decision from there. I'm not going to be indoctrinated. I'm not going to be anybody's foot soldier mm-hmm. um, or, you know, anything like that. So long as I can do that mm-hmm. and still support organizations and causes mm-hmm. and movements, I will. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Yeah, but the minute somebody try to get me to be something I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm gone. I'm not with it. So, you know, I did one dabble, but I never joined anything. Mm-hmm. Well, we appreciate your solidarity, brother. Um, one of my favorite moments of pop culture is the mention of you on the boondocks by Gangsta Delicious, <laughs> who's played by most deaf, a.k.a. Yasin Bey. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I, I've heard a few episodes. Which one is the this? One, the, one, the one when he's like, uh, when Gangsta Delicious is locked in the trunk with Riley and he's like, decides to like really have a heart to heart with him. He's like, you know who my favorite rapper is? He goes, who? He goes, Ice Cube. And Riley goes, Ice Cube? The dude who make the family movies? He <laughs> said, yeah, man, Ice Cube is so gangster. When I was little, I would dream that Ice Cube would come over my house and murder my whole family. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. Man, you know? that'd be a hell of a family movie right there. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I would like the People's Party to give it up. For Ice Cube. Yeah! Salute. Salute to you. Thank you, man. Thank you, Cube. That was exactly what we needed, bro.